I ask you to turn in your Bibles with me once again to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Uh, today, last Sunday, we looked at the three parables in Luke 15. Jesus taught these three stories in response to the Pharisees and the scribes who grumbled as Jesus received tax collectors and sinners. And uh, the, the three parables we, we saw are all about the joy of God in seeking and finding that which is lost. And today we're going to focus on the most familiar of these three parables, often called the parable, parable of the prodigal son. But as we saw last week, it's, it's really a story about two lost sons and a father who graciously seeks out both of them. Um, as we look at this story, I, I want us today to think about the search for significance. I think it's right to say that it is a universal desire of the human heart to find meaning and purpose and significance in our lives. We are all on a search for significance. We want to know what life is about, what life is for. And this passage, I, I, I want to suggest, is a great place for you to go in God's word because here Jesus talks about ways we often seek for significance. And in, in contrast to that, Jesus is going to tell us where real significance and purpose can be found. Well, let's also uh, remember that uh, we need God to know God. So let's uh, pray to him as we look to his word. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we pray that by a powerful work of the Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in each one of our hearts today, drawing us, perhaps for the first time or anew, to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom you come running to sinners to welcome them home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. Let's hear God's word. And he, Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father 
said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat and that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. There are uh, three main characters in this story. There is the prodigal son who demands his inheritance and squanders it. The older brother who stays home and works for his father. And there is the father himself who deals so graciously and generously with both of his sons. Uh, Let's look this morning at each of these characters beginning with the prodigal son. We are thinking together about the search for significance, the search for meaning, and the prodigal son chooses the way of self-discovery and self-indulgence. He says to his father in in verse 12, give me my share of the property. He, He knows that when his father dies, that he will receive a portion of the inheritance, but he can't wait around for his old man to die. He, he really doesn't care about a relationship with his father at all. He sees his father as a means to an end. The end being a life of self-seeking, satisfaction, self-discovery, and self-indulgence. So he went to his dad and demanded his share of the inheritance. And if you look down at verse 12, you you see the father's response. Uh, He he granted the request. He divided his property with him. The Greek behind uh, the, the word for property is literally his life. He, he divided his, the accomplishments of his life with his sons. This isn't some cold transaction uh, between the father and his son. He worked all of his life to bless his sons with an inheritance. But the younger son, see, he, he views the lifetime of his father's labors as mere commodities with which to enrich himself. So he's entirely focused on himself. It's it's just there in in the request, isn't it? Give me the share of property that's coming to me. And so verse 13, the the younger son, he he gathered all that he had. 
again, the, the, the Greek is helpful here. The, the Greek word for, well, it's translated, he gathered all that he had, carries the idea of uh, taking your assets and turning them into cash. So he took everything from his inheritance and he cashed in. And it's, it's, it's safe to assume that he left home and went into the far country with his wallet filled. Because his father was a wealthy and successful man. So he, he went with no small amount of means as he set out on this voyage of self-discovery and self-indulgence. And uh, if you look again at verse 13, it goes on to tell us he squandered it in reckless living. Now, Jesus doesn't say exactly how, but the sense of, of, uh, of the, the verse is, you know, picture, a, picture someone standing in a third-story window with wads of cash and just throwing it to the wind. That's what it's saying. And, and, and the Greek actually connotes the idea of, of luxurious living. Here's a man with expensive taste. He enjoyed the expensive clothes, the fancy meals, and he, he spared no expenses when it came to the wildest entertainments. Did you catch how his brother later on described him after he came home? Uh, your son uh, devoured all of your property with prostitutes, he says. So the younger son doesn't simply leave home to forge his own professional path. He, he leaves home on the search for significance and satisfaction, and he goes off the deep end. Uh, he, he gives himself over to the pleasures that this world had to offer to him. And so here I think we see an example of one approach to the search for significance, the way of self-discovery and self-indulgence. He was, he was self-centered. He didn't care about anyone but himself. He didn't want to be under authority. He was going to do it his own way. He didn't want to be under the oversight of the covenant community of God's people. He left the covenant community and went off to a far country to live for himself. So his journey to the far country was a quest for significance and fulfillment by unleashing his appetites and giving himself over to every pleasure he could find. But... Not only is he an example of that strategy for significance, I think he's also an example of how this approach devours and destroys. Because he soon discovered, as perhaps some of us have, that when we try to use pleasure and self-indulgence as a means for significance and satisfaction, it devours and destroys. You, you set off thinking, I'm on the path to freedom. And you eventually find yourself enslaved to your own desires. And so when famine eventually strikes in the far country, I think it's right to say he hits, he hits rock bottom. Uh, verses 15, 16, it, it's hard to imagine, imagine a more desperate situation than this. He hired himself out to a citizen of this country and they sent him out into the field to care for the pigs. A Jewish man caring for pigs. It, it, that's pretty bad. But it goes from bad to worse because 
He's so desperate for food that he finds himself longing to be fed with pig slop, with the food of, of the pigs. And, and no one cares for him, the text tells us. And so here's a man who's left with considerable means on the search for significance, purpose, identity. He will be a self-defined man, he thinks. He left his father for worldly pleasure. He left a father who, who loved him and cared for him and provided for him. And, and now at rock bottom, off in a far country, no one will give him anything. See, he's longing now to have his belly filled with the, the pig food, unclean, desperate, covered in filth. He set out on the path of search for significance and it's hard to imagine a picture of insignificance less powerful than this. And so here's one strategy for the pursuit of significance. Just live for yourself. You deserve it. Follow the desires of your heart. Pursue every pleasure your heart desires. What our heart tells us sometimes, it's what the world around us tells us. But the younger brother shows us how this strategy is fatally flawed because it can never deliver on what it promises. And so there is this one strategy in the, in the search for significance, the way of self-indulgence and self-discovery. But we see a second strategy in this story, and it's the strategy of self-effort. I wonder if you've ever tried this one out. I think we see two examples of it, actually, here in our story. And maybe this is where there's a little bit of a surprise in this familiar story to us. Uh, verses 17 and 19, we see the first example of this kind of self-effort. After the younger son hits rock bottom, we, we're told one day he, he comes to his senses. He comes to himself about how foolish he's been. And he, he says to himself, how many of my fathers, you listen closely to what he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So when you look at that, you see that he, he, uh, he realizes he's done wrong. He realizes he's sinned. He plans to go to his father, confess his sin without qualification. He, he knows he has no claim. He has no rights to appeal to before his father. He's utterly unworthy. And he's right about all of that. It, it's evident that there, there has been a, a real heart change in this younger son. And yet, and yet there's something I think we need to, to think about here. When you look closely at what he plan to say to his father, what he rehearsed to himself, while there is repentance, I think while he's still off in the far country, it's right to say that he has yet to understand and to come to terms with the, the love and the grace of his father's forgiving heart. So instead of going to his father and pleading to be restored as a son, he goes back saying, treat me like a slave. I'll work for it. I'll earn it. I'll earn my keep. 
So he rejects one bankrupt method in the search for significance, the way of self-discovery, and he opts for the opposite but equally bankrupt strategy of self-effort. I think the clue to what's going on in the younger brother's heart, while he's still in the far country at least, comes out, well, it doesn't come out very clearly in our English translations, but, but in the, the Greek it stands out because the rehearsed confession that he recites to himself is bracketed at the beginning and the end by this word hired servant. It's, uh, I think, a key thing to see in the text. It's, he says, uh, hired servants have all they need at the beginning. And then at the end, make me like one of your hired servants, he plans to say to his father. He's, he's thinking, if I go back, there's no way he will receive me as a son. There's no way he will welcome me back home. So maybe if I offer myself to him as a hireling, he'll allow me to, to serve as a slave, and he'll agree on those terms to take me back. Well, so that's one example of it, but of course we see the same strategy with the older brother. When the older brother comes home, and, or uh, the younger brother comes home, and everybody is inside celebrating, and the older brother is returning from the fields, um, he takes offense when he finds out what's really going on inside. He, he won't come in to join the celebration, and he stays out in the dark, um, sulking in his own self-pity. And the father goes out. The father seeks him and begins to entreat him and reason with him. And the brother says to him in verse, or the son, older son says to him in verse 29, look, these many years I've served you, literally, all of these years I've slaved for you. I've never disobeyed your command Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours, he, notice he can't even call him his brother. When this son of yours returned, who, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. He sensed the underlying self-entitlement there. He, he compares his obedience with the disobedience of his younger brother. And he's saying to his father, look, I'm the good son. I've stuck with you. I've obeyed you. I've done what you've asked. But, but you reward him, not me. He, he, uh, he, he devoured your property with prostitutes. And you killed the fatted calf for him. And all these years I've slaved away for you. And what do I have to show for my efforts? And so we're meant to see, I think, that the younger and older brother actually share some of the same assumptions about the father at this point. They are operating on the basis of the principle of quid pro quo. I do this for you, you do this for me. I render this obedience, you show me this favor. Uh, they didn't see their father as a man who gave Freely, graciously, generously, they viewed him. They saw that, they, they believed that in his heart, he was, he was a man they needed to relate to as a master to be slavishly obeyed. You see, some of us, some of us try to find our significance like, like the younger brother did by self-discovery and 
self-indulgence, but some of us have found out the hard way just how destructive that approach can be. And so instead, we've tried, like the younger brother, for the opposite approach. We think that by our efforts, by our service, by a little sprinkling of religion and performance here and there, by straightening out our lives, by getting things worked out, cleaned up, that we can earn and achieve our status with God. But then there are others of us, at least in our own eyes, we convinced ourselves that you know we're, we're good law-keeping church-going folks who never rebelled never went astray never went off the path but you see whatever category we fall into we can easily fall into this wrong-headed idea that our status our significance and our worth is grounded in our own work Grounded in something we do that obligates the Father to do something for us. And so we see the failure of these strategies in the search for significance. Jesus' point is that both are fatally flawed. And it's at this point I think we need to look at the third character in the story. We, we need to think about the Father himself, the main character in this story. Go back to verse 20. Uh, the younger son at this point in the story is, is on his way home. He's got his, he's got his reverse, uh, rehearsed confession all prepared. He's got it all worked out. He's going to openly confess his sin. He wants his father to take him back as a slave and not a son. He will, uh, he will work off the shame. Perhaps over the years, if, if I just serve him over the years, eventually he'll welcome me back as a son. That's his plan. But take a look at what the father actually does. While he's, a, while he's a long way off, his father saw him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And when the son starts his rehearsed confession, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father cuts him off. Please, please notice this closely. He is following his rehearsed confession verbatim. And the next thing he intends to say is treat me like a hired servant. But the father interjects. Right before he says it, he says, put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet and prepare the fatted calf. Now, just for, for a moment, remember who Jesus is speaking to here. He, he's speaking to Pharisees and, and scribes um, who have been grumbling about Jesus spending time with and receiving tax collectors and sinners. So he's telling this story and he's doing what Jesus loved to do. He's upsetting the apple cart. And this is a story that upsets the apple cart because no one expected the father to do what the father does in this parable. How would you expect the, the father to respond to his returning wayward son? Maybe, maybe a cold shoulder, maybe a lecture about how much shame he's brought upon the family. But, but no one would have expected a Jewish patriarch to hike up his robes and expose his skinny, scrawny legs and to take off running after his filthy, unclean, wayward son. You know, social etiquette, Jewish 
fathers didn't do this sort of thing. It was undignified. But this father didn't care because he cared more about his returning son. So he sprints to his son when he sees him returning from the far country, throws his arms around him and kisses him. And when the son is about to make a request to be treated as a slave, the father jumps in and says, put my best robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. What's happening? What's happening there? He's being reinstated. The father is recognizing this is my son. And the father's heart, it's full of joy. He's saying, let's celebrate. Let's throw a party. Because my son who was once dead is, is alive. He who was once lost has been found. And the son, think about this. He, he, returned, he returned with flawed repentance. Not really at this point understanding yet the heart of his father. Not really understanding the graciousness and the generosity of his father's heart. He comes back thinking he'll work for his keep, but the father won't have it. Instead, he gives it all free at once as an unearned gift. The status of sonship. It's, it's amazing. In fact, uh, so amazing that many of Jesus' listeners would have readily identified with the frustration of the elder brother. You know, Jesus, God isn't like that. God doesn't deal with sinners in that way. Grace doesn't work like that. My significance, my status, my acceptance with God depends upon something I do. That's exactly how the older brother thought. And that's why he's so furious when the father showed the younger brother grace. But please, please notice too how the father treats the elder brother. Just as with the younger son, it's the father who takes the initiative. It's the father who, who goes out to his self-righteous son and entreats him to come in. You see, God speaks a word of grace to self-indulgent and self-righteous sinners. He, he, comes, he comes to us. And look at what he says to his oldest son in verse 31. Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He is lost and is found. You see the father is teaching the older brother. The same lesson that the younger brother learned when he returned. It's the lesson of grace. The older brother had access to all that the father owned. Not by doing something or earning it, but for free if he would only take and have it on the father's terms. And so the father goes after both sons with the, the very same message of grace. Your significance, your status is not earned. It's freely given. But friends, that's hard for us to take in, isn't it? Good, good religious folks, church-going folks. Your status and significance has nothing to do 
with how good you've been and everything to do with being rightly related to a gracious father. See, he comes, he comes to us. He initiates. He pursues us, the self-indulgent and the self-righteous. And he says, your significance is not found in what you do or ever could do. It's not found in you at all, but in my embrace and my, my desire to bless you with an inheritance. And so in the context of Luke 15, as we saw last Sunday, the central point of this parable is absolutely clear that God seeks all kinds of lost sinners and rejoices when they are found. And if the father in the parable represents God the father, then, then we, need to, we need to understand how he does this. How, how does God pursue lost people? He does through, so through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our significance, our status as beloved children is free to us, fully covered at the Father's own expense. And that comes out clearly. You see that in this parable, don't you? When, when the, the prodigal son returns, it's the, it's the father's robe. It's the father's ring. It's the father's shoes. It's the father's fatted calf that is prepared for the celebration. It's all at his expense when the son is reinstated. He didn't earn it. Friends, we don't earn it. But in the gospel... How, how is it then that God's grace comes to us, all expenses paid? The answer is God paid for it all personally in Jesus at the cross, didn't he? To cover our filthy rags with his righteous robes. To bring home those who were once alienated and welcome them as sons and daughters. You, you do not have to become a hired slave, slaving away to earn the favor of a reluctant, harsh taskmaster. Friends, that's not the gospel. And that's not who God is. You don't need to work and work and work and work in order to find significance and status and acceptance with God he pays, he bears the cost, and he gives it to you freely in Jesus. And when that truth of the gospel actually takes root in your heart, of course you will serve the father, but not as a slave, but as a grateful son. Now we, we come, we, we, we know the, the young son came home. He, he came to understand the love of his father, a love a love that came running to receive him even when his repentance was flawed. Uh, a love that wrapped its arms around him even when he was wallowing, coming fresh from wallowing in the pigsty. This is a picture of our Heavenly Father, dear friends. But what about, what about the older brother? We mentioned this briefly last week. What, what happened to him? Did, did he come inside and join in the celebration, the feast, or did he stay out in the dark? You know, Jesus ends the parable this way on purpose. It's open-ended. Because most of his hearers would have been the older brother types. 
you know, the religious, hardworking, earn your significance by your own religious performance and obedience types. Will they come in? Will they come in and join the celebration? And today that question, dear friends, is, is aimed at us. Have you come in to join the celebration? Have you received the Father's gracious invitation to be received and welcomed not on the basis of anything you have ever done or ever could do, but solely on the basis of what Christ alone has done in the gospel? Have you answered that invitation to enter in? Will you, will you keep trying to find significance in how decent or obedient you've been? Or will you forsake all of that and find your significance, your worth, your acceptance, your identity in Jesus Christ alone and what he has done for you in the gospel? You see, this passage ends open-ended because it's an invitation to come in. Come in. Forsake the destructive and devouring paths of self-pleasure and self-seeking and self-indulgence and the path of self-effort. And claim Jesus Christ alone and come in and join in the everlasting celebration. That is the invitation Jesus gives us in this parable. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we pray for prodigal sons and daughters. And we pray that like the younger son, they might come to their senses and they might see the utter bankruptcy of pursuing significance and satisfaction in worldly pleasure. And like the older brother and the younger son, help us to see the utter bankruptcy of trying to establish our significance and our acceptance with you on the basis of something we do. Instead, like the prodigal who was embraced by the father, help us to come more deeply or perhaps for the first time to understand just how generous and gracious and loving you are towards sinners. We thank you that you are a God who goes out and seeks and brings home and welcomes in self-indulgent and self-righteous sinners because of what your son, the Lord Jesus, has done. We pray, Lord, that we would embrace him and him alone and find our worth and significance in him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.